Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. I'm going to be reading today from Luke chapter 4. And um, it's good to have all of you here, those watching online, those who will be watching later. God bless you. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse number 16. Luke 4 and 16. So he came to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is quoting Isaiah right here where you see the quotations. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and I believe that can happen here today, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight the blind. If anybody believes that God is still able to do that kind of stuff, can you can you say amen right now? To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. End of quotations. He stopped reading. That's the passage from Isaiah. Verse 20, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue, they were fixed on him. They were fascinated. They weren't going to blink. They weren't going to look away in this moment. Their eyes were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I want to preach to you for a little while using this as a title, Jesus Goes to Church. Amen. I know it's a little simple. Sounds like a preschool reader. Betty rides her bike. (laughs) But hey, if you think that I'm lacking on creativity, you try to do this a couple times a week for about a decade and see how creative you are. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Originally, there was was only one place. There was a single place of worship in Israel. And at first, it was a tent. It wasn't a building like this. It was a building of, of poles and fabric. And this was what became known as the Old Testament tabernacle and God commanded Moses to erect this tabernacle for his people so it would be a place of worship and I know many of you probably are familiar with the Old Testament tabernacle maybe you've done some studying if you if you haven't it's fascinating and I would encourage you to do so so much meaning and so much symbolism even for us here today but One thing about that tabernacle was that as the children of Israel were there in the wilderness and they were making their way to the promised land, that the tabernacle was put in the middle. It was in the center 
of the people. And so all of the 12 tribes of Israel, they would camp around the tabernacle. They didn't put the tabernacle out on the outskirts. They didn't put the house of God out on the periphery, but they put it in the middle. And so that was how it began. And then after the Old Testament tabernacle, that tent, that was followed by a temple. And this was a stationary place. It was the temple. And David had the heart to build this temple, but the Lord said, no, you can prepare the temple, but you know what, you're, you're, you're a man, you, you've shed a lot of blood, and so I'm going to use your son instead, and you can be a part of it by helping to gather the supplies and the materials. And so Solomon built the first temple, and he built it in Jerusalem. And once that temple was finished and constructed, all of the national festivities were held there, all of the various feasts that they observed, they were celebrated there, and every family was expected to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple to worship there. And this, this custom continued and, until an act of judgment from God caused uh, their enemies, the, the, the enemies of the, the Israelites, to arise, and they came in, and they drove out the Israelites, and they destroyed the temple and taking the people of God captive. And, and so now the people are not in this central location, but now they're, they're scattered abroad and they're carried into bondage. And so because of that, things began to change. As a matter of fact, at one particular point, the Hebrews were completely forbidden from entering the city of Jerusalem. So even going to the location of the temple wasn't possible because they were a people who were captive. They were a people who were bound. But even though they couldn't go to the temple, they still needed to worship God. They, they still needed to find a way to praise their Lord. And so other arrangements were, were made and synagogues began to be constructed. Synagogues began to make their appearance in Hebrew communities, synagogues like we read about just a moment ago in Luke 4. And so believers, they, they, they would come and meet together in a local place of worship. Instead of them all trying to make, you know, a procession to Jerusalem, they would, they would go to a synagogue in their community. They would go to a, a synagogue in their town or their village. And even after Israel was restored as a nation, and even after that temple was reconstructed, rebuilt the second time, the synagogues didn't go away. The synagogues continued, and going to the area synagogue uh, continued on. And so this really, when you think about it, it's not necessarily the, the, the tent, the tabernacle of the Old Testament, or, or even the temple in Jerusalem, but it's the synagogues that really gave rise and really provide us with the model of the church house that we know and enjoy today. But at, at the beginning of this, it was, it was really more out of convenience, it was, it was more out of, you know, the people needed, they needed to worship together, but they couldn't, they couldn't always make it to Jerusalem. And so it was easier for them to go to a synagogue. And at the high festivals, they'd make their way to Jerusalem. But in, in the in-between times they'd worship, they would go and learn and study and be with the people of God in a synagogue. And such, uh, as such, this, these synagogues, they really, 
uh, in comparison became much like our, our modern churches, our modern church gatherings. And, and the, these were buildings, these synagogues, they were, they were buildings that were used for church services like we're using this building here today, but, but, but they were different. Un- unlike the, the tabernacle or even unlike the temple, uh, they, they weren't used exclusively for the purpose of having church services. They were used for other things as well. They became education centers where the children would go and they would be taught by the rabbis. They'd be taught by the teachers. And they, they became a gathering place, a place where people could go and, and find fellowship and break bread together. They, they were even used to host out-of-town guests sometimes, people that didn't have a place to stay. They could stay in the synagogue. So as you can see, that there's, there's a lot of that that remains true with today's churches because just as in Jesus' days and with the synagogues there, our church is a very multi-purpose facility. There's, there's many things that happen within the confines of this building. But, but, but here's the thing, that those synagogues, when, when the Sabbath day rolled around, when that day of worship rolled around, they became, those synagogues, they became the house of God. That became a place that as the people of God convened on that special day and the believers arrived, that the law of Moses was taught to them and the words of the prophets were expounded upon and God Almighty was worshipped in synagogues. On, on the Sabbath day, on the church service day, if you will, nothing else mattered. Much is the same uh, for us here today. Much, much is true in, in, in a similar sense that this church building, it, it serves many, many functions. I mean, we have, we have dinners here. We have lock-ins for, for our young people where they stay all night uh, at their own volition. And willingly, they stay up all night here in this church building. And we have life groups that meet here today. We had a life group fair at 11 o'clock and all kind of tables were set up and food was served. We have baby showers and we have wedding showers and the list could go on and on for the things that transpire here. And yes, it, it, it may be a lot different, a lot of different things at different times, but church, never we should never forget that when you and I make our way here, the church... When, when the church assembles, the church not necessarily being a building, I know you understand, but, but when we make our way from our homes and our apartments, when we make our, our, our way across town to this place, this becomes a, a sacred place. This becomes a place of power. This becomes a place of anointing. This becomes a place when you and I are here where the sinful can find a savior. This becomes a place where eternities are decided and where souls choose their destiny. This is a place where lives are transformed and hearts are forever changed when the people of God assemble. This is the house of God when the people of God are in this place. In the first century, the entire life of the community really revolved around the synagogue. Essentially, the church, like I mentioned about the Old Testament tabernacle, but the church was at the center of everything. 
In Europe, we've, we've gotten to go a few times, most of them on missions trips, but in, in Europe you can see this very, very vividly. This tradition has been carried on there because if you arrive to a new village or a new town and you want to know where's the middle of things, well, just look for the tallest spire. Look for the highest steeple and, and then go make your way there and most likely you're going to find yourself in the middle of the city or you're going to find the largest plaza in that village. And, and, and likewise, in a, in a time that's not too distant for us, uh, the church served a similar function even in our society here. There was a day when the church was at the center of every community. You can go to some of these small Texas towns, and, and you're going to find a square, right? And you're going to find City Hall, but not very far. You're going to find a pretty big church. There was a day when the church was the center of every community and lives revolved, literally revolved around their church. But can I just say this, that unfortunately we've kind of drifted from that and unfortunately we've come to a time and to a generation that doesn't really put as much value on the role of the church in their life as we once did. As a matter of fact, for many churches it's become another institution. Far too many people in this generation view church as optional. Take it or leave it. They, they view it as negotiable that, hey, you know what? I'll go to church if I don't have anything better to do. I'll, I'll, I'll go to church if there's nothing else that, 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 that matters more to me at that particular time. And, and far too many people profess belonging to a church, but they see no problem at all in distancing themselves from the beliefs of that church. Oh, yeah, I go there, but I'm not really all into that. Just a place to go. It's a place to network. It's a place to connect with other people, but my life's not really changed. My life's not really affected by that. But can I say that? That's not the way it ought to be. Listen, outside of your family, the church ought to be the most important institution in your life. Can, I, can somebody put an amen on that? This isn't the local theology club. This isn't like belonging to a special interest group. This isn't like belonging to a country club. This is the church of the living God. And because of that, what goes on here matters more than what happens at the community ball field or at the local park. What happens here has more impact on your life than what happens on your job. What happens here, what goes on here is more important than the politics of the day or what's going on around the world. Because according to the word of God, the church is essential to the salvation of your soul. Amen. This wasn't my idea. Having a church wasn't my idea. This is a God idea. Let me remind you, he said this. Jesus said, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, there's another place where, where we're being told, us men are being told how we ought to love our wives. And, and you know what he says? You know what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how does, how does Christ love the church? He gave his life for it. So I want you to know the church matters. The church is important. The church isn't a man idea. The church is a God idea. 
Praise the Lord anyhow. And I'm going to say this too. You need a pastor. I'm not saying that in a self-serving way. I'm not saying that because I'm bored and I'm twiddling my thumbs and I've got nothing to do. But you need a pastor. I need a pastor. Hallelujah. You need a man of God who will declare to you the whole counsel of the word of God. Not just the parts that you like. The whole, every bit of it, from cover to cover. Hallelujah. You need a pastor who will preach and teach the truth so that they can deliver your soul to heaven. You need a place where you can come together and be strengthened and encouraged and iron can sharpen iron and you can be around other believers who can encourage you in your faith. Come on, we need the church. You need the church. I need the church. Praise God. Amen. We, we don't know a whole lot about the, the early years in the life of Jesus. The Bible is really pretty quiet. A- after his birth and, and kind of before he starts his ministry, there's not a whole lot that's filled in there in Scripture. But tradition suggests that, that Jesus worked as a carpenter with his, his earthly father, Joseph, and and we also believe that, that he lived with his parents and that he studied to be a rabbi. He, he was in training, just like others, to, to be a rabbi. How, however, in our text today, in, in Luke chapter 4, it gives us some rare insight into the life of Jesus because here at the very, very genesis of his ministry, at the, at the beginning of his earthly ministry when his fame is just kind of beginning to grow and, and his notoriety is beginning to expand and spread throughout the land. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, he made a trip back home. He went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And this is what it says in the 16th verse of Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, what did Jesus do? He went to the synagogue. So Luke says that it was Jesus' custom. This wasn't a one-time occurrence. This wasn't an anomaly, but it's something that he did. This was his custom, Luke said. It was a, it was a regular part of his life. It was a, a reoccurring function of his life. When Sabbath rolled around, Jesus went to church. Jesus could be found in the synagogue. Not some of the time, not most of the time, not when he felt like it. When Sabbath came, when service time came, there wasn't a question because Jesus was going to church because it was his custom. It's what he did. you got to know today, this is, this is absolutely remarkable to me because if there was ever a person who didn't have to go to church, it was Jesus. If there was ever a person who had the right to say, you know what, I'm not going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. It was Jesus. 
If there was somebody ever who lived who had a right to boycott the church because they didn't like how they did things down at the church. Oh, they keep it too cold down there. They keep it too hot down there. The lights are too dim. The lights are too bright. I can't hear the music. Music's too loud. If there was ever anybody who had the right to boycott the church and stay home because they don't like it the way they do it, it was Jesus. But I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't go to church because he needed instruction in the word of God. Let me remind you, he was the living word. As a matter of fact, John 1 says it like this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He didn't go because he needed the word. He was the word. He didn't need to go to church to be reminded of what the prophets said. He was the fulfillment of their prophecies. Jesus didn't need to go to church to be reminded about how the worlds were formed because everything in the world was formed by his hands. Listen, he's the only person who ever lived that didn't need to go to church. But it was his custom. But he went anyway. It was his custom to be there. And listen, if it was important for Jesus to go to church, come on, if it was, if it was important for the man who didn't need to go to church and to go to church, then don't you think it's important? What, what about you and I as believers? Don't you think that we ought to make meeting together a priority as well? Listen, I know it's easier to stay home. I know it's easier to watch online. I know it's easy to kick back in your PJs and, you know, just kind of enjoy some good church entertainment. Something to eat, you know, it's just relaxing. I know that's easy. But listen, I think we ought to make it a priority. I think we ought to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to get up. I'm going to put my clothes on. I'm going to get in my car, catch the bus, and I'm going to make my way to the house of the Lord because Jesus, who didn't have to go to church and didn't need to go to church, he went to church anyway, and I'm going to go to church as well. Oh, praise God. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we've come through an interesting time here the last few years. COVID's done a lot of things to us. And you know, you, you know what's happening in most churches? People aren't coming back. The, the attendance is way down. Attendance is in, in decline. I'm just going to say again, that ought not be so in a spirit-filled church. That ought not be the way it is at the life church. Oh, praise God. I don't need God any less right now than I did before COVID. How about you? I don't need God any less in this time of confusion and chaos than I did before. I need him even more now. And because of that, I need you. I need the word of God. I need the church. Clap your hands to the Lord right now. Praise God. The custom of meeting together developed from the synagogue meetings like the ones that Jesus attended. As a matter of fact, it was one of the hallmarks of the early church. When the church was first born in the book of Acts, they continued to meet in the synagogues. 
They continued to gather together. Their custom was the same as the Lord's custom. That is, they went to church. Later, they were removed from the synagogues, and they continued to go to church. Pastor Chris uh, alluded to this. Sometimes they would go in houses, you know, and sometimes it would be in places uh, of business or just find a building, and they would gather there. And listen, that's why we do life groups here at the Life Church. Because we don't need to keep the church inside the four walls. We need, to, we need to take the church out there. We need to take the church into the community. We need to take the church into the coffee shops. We need to take the church into our community centers. We, we need to take the church to the park. Praise God. That's what the early church did. They didn't confine it to one place, but, but they took it wherever it needed to go. Listen, let me just say this about life groups. I'm not sure it was necessarily mentioned this morning, but life groups can, can be an easier way for a friend or coworker or a family member to get introduced to the church sometimes even than coming to a Sunday church service. They may go play pickleball with you. They, they, they may go drink a cup of coffee with you a whole lot easier than coming to church. So we want front doors of the church all around the Metroplex. Praise God. Hallelujah. So they had the synagogues, but, but even they would meet in houses. They would meet in different places. But, but listen, wherever the people of God assembled, that became the house of God. They could have been in an upper room. You know what turns into the house of God? They, they, they could have been in somebody's house. Breaking bread. Then they said, you know what, let's pray together. You got a need? You got something you want to talk about? You know what? It became the house of God. They went to church. And here's the thing about going to church. One of the most visible signs of your personal faith is you going and gathering together with other believers for worship and encouragement. And can I tell you that time and experience have shown that when a believer's faith begins to slip, that when that fire for the Lord begins to wane, that this condition is often evidenced by a loss or a lack of commitment to the community of believers. On, on the other hand, you've probably seen it. Somebody has an encounter with God. Maybe it's, maybe it's you know, while listening to a podcast. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's while riding down the road listening to, you know, the, the Christian music station. And they have an encounter with God. And, and you know, for the first time, they, they feel the presence of the Lord. What, what do they do many times after that? I've got to find a church. I've got, to, I've got to find a church. I've got to find a place where I can grow. I've got to find a place where I can be discipled. I've got to find a place where I can go, go deeper in God. And, and the same is true on the other end of the spectrum. When you begin to fade in your walk with God, when your relationship with Him begins to wax cold, what do you do? You begin distancing yourself. You begin isolating yourself from the, from the people of God. You, you begin to find reasons to miss. You begin to find excuses as to why you won't go, why, why you won't attend as you once did. But listen, I want you to know that this is a dangerous place to be because the church is here to help you. The church is here to encourage you. The church is here to strengthen you. Come on, this is where we come and share our burdens. Church is where your brother or your sister can come alongside you and say, hey, look, I know you're going through a tough time right now, so let me carry that burden for you in prayer. Let me be a source of strength for you. 
church is where the fountain of your soul is replenished and you find refreshing that sustains you for day-to-day living. It's at the church. It's in the church. And when you miss church, you rob yourself of one of the greatest gifts that God has for you. Hallelujah. He sets the solitary in families. Oh, praise God. He'll give you mothers and fathers that you know not of. The church is a gift. The church is a gift from God. He gave his life for the church. It matters to him, and it ought to be important to us. This is what the Apostle Paul was addressing in Hebrews 10, 25, noting that it was becoming the custom of some to miss church. And so he admonished the believers. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't do what some of these others are doing. They're not not coming around anymore. They're keeping their distance. They're doing their own thing. And Paul said, that's dangerous. Don't forsake assembling together because we all need the church. Church matters. Can somebody say amen? Before I move on, can, can I just say that, that when we least feel like being here, that's probably when we need to be here the most. When, when, we, when we least feel it, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes we're like David. I was glad when they said unto me. Sometimes we wake up on Sunday mornings, hey, it's church day. Let's go to church. Can't wait to get to church. But there's other times, and that's when we need to be in church the most. Let go of your excuses. Get rid of your excuses. Make up your mind. I need the church. This is a God concept. I need it. He he created it for me. He initiated it for me. He shed his blood for this church so I could be a part of it. So when Jesus went to Nazareth here in Luke chapter 4, there there must have been just incredible buzz in the air. I mean, he he was a local boy, yes, but word was beginning to spread about his miracles, and word was beginning to spread about about his his unconventional ministry. And so there there was a point that when you would go to synagogue, there was a point in every service at synagogue where a qualified individual would 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 stand up or maybe a priest would would be given a time to read from the law and to read from the scrolls. And so if they had a if they had a visiting rabbi there, then he might be asked to read from the prophets and deliver a sermon, kind of like when we have guest preachers around here. And so they would do the same thing if there was a guest speaker, a guest teacher, a rabbi that, hey, you, you read today and you share a message. And so that's the context. That's what we see going on here in Luke chapter 4. And on this particular day, Jesus was the guest speaker. Jesus was asked to read from the Word. He was asked to deliver a message. And the people watched with great anticipation as he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he carefully opened it to a particular passage in that prophecy. And you've got to know, he wasn't playing Bible roulette, you know. Let's just let's just open this thing up and, you know, wherever my hand falls, that's where I'm going to read. No, this was on purpose. 
He made a specific choice, a significant choice about what he was going to read that day because he knew very well that all of the people gathered in the synagogue that day, that they believed that it was a prophecy about the Messiah. There's so many prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Isaiah has more messianic prophecies than any other book. And so he went there. He went to the book of Isaiah where they knew he knew, hey, they're going to know. They're going to be familiar with this. They're going to know that it's about the Messiah. And that's when Jesus began to read, starting in verse number 18 of Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus got up and read those words of the messianic prophecy from Isaiah. I can imagine there was total silence in that moment. The Bible says everybody's eyes were fixed on him. They wanted to know, what's he going to say about this? Where's he going to go from this text? What's he going to have to say about this passage? What is he going to tell us about the Messiah? You see, for some gathered in the synagogue that day, he was just Mary and Joseph's boy. But for others, he was more than that. And in anticipation, the whole crowd waited to see what he was going to say. And finally, Jesus delivered his sermon in a single sentence. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. No doubt the the atmosphere of that room was charged and the house probably shook. To some, this moment was a revelation. The lights begin to come on. Hey, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one we've been wanting to come and waiting for and looking for. Maybe he's the Messiah. But for others, they were on the the other end of the spectrum. They thought maybe this was blasphemy because Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. But rest assured, for every person who was praying, This was a life-altering moment when Jesus presented himself as the fulfillment of Scripture. Now, many of us come to church for a variety of reasons. We've all got different motivations. We've all all got different, different reasons, and I referenced some of them a little bit earlier, but I want you to know today that Jesus still goes to church. And we just got finished reading there in Luke 4 and 18. We just got finished reading why Jesus goes to church. He comes to church to bring liberty to those who are bound. He comes to church to minister to the poor and the brokenhearted. He comes to church to heal those who are in need. He comes to church to set free those who are bound by habits and sins. He comes to open eyes that are blinded to the truth truth. Listen, that's the ministry of Jesus in the house of ministry. That's why Jesus goes to church. Today, some of you came to church with a need. Let me tell you why Jesus came to this church today. He came to meet your need. 
I want you to know that if you came burdened down into this place today, I want you to know why Jesus came. He came to lift your heavy load. If you came into this place all bound by worries and doubts and even fear, Jesus came to set you free. If you walked into this place, if you walked into this building today caught up in the grip of depression or anxiety, Jesus came to bring you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He came to bring you peace that surpasses all understanding. That's why Jesus goes to church. So let me tell you right now, it's Jesus' custom to come to church. As a matter of fact, he doesn't miss. Any of you grew up going to Sunday school and you know get perfect attendance trophy for the year? Jesus has gotten perfect attendance forever. He goes and he doesn't miss. So the reason I'm saying that today is that you don't have to wonder of whether he's here or not. You don't have to question whether or not he's going to meet you at the point of your need today. He's here. He's here. Would you tell somebody sitting close to you, he's here. Come on, tell somebody else on the other side, he's here. And where he is, there's liberty. And where he is, there's deliverance. And where Jesus is, there's hope. For the hopeless. So let me declare it one more time to get rid of any doubt that may still be lingering in the room. Jesus goes to church and he's here right now. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's here. Stand with me. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, it's not like the days of the Old Testament tabernacle where there was a thick curtain separating the place of the people from the Holy of Holies, the place where the Spirit of the Lord dwelled. It's not like that anymore. It's not like it was in the temple where only the priests could go in. But on that day when Jesus gave up, he gave up the ghost, he died. The Bible says that temple veil, that curtain, it was torn in two. And from that point to this, we can boldly come before his throne of grace to find help in the time of our need. Hallelujah. We have access to the Spirit of the Lord today. We have access to the presence of God right now. And I want you to know the Lord knows what you need today. Jesus knows exactly what is going on in your life. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And there is an eternal promise in his simple one-sentence sermon. It can be fulfilled today. Whatever your need is, whatever your care is, it can be fulfilled today. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLCDallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.